When I became a Christian as a freshman in high school, I really wanted to get closer to God. And without anybody exactly teaching me this, nonetheless, I picked up that the way you get closer to God is you become a more spiritual person, more spiritual. And so I went out and got a big leather case for my Bible. I, I, actually, I think it was Naugahyde. But it had, a, it had a big dove stitched on the cover. And I carried my Bible to school in that, baby. Yeah. And I said, praise the Lord, a lot. <laughs> and I really wanted the kind of spiritual experiences that other, I heard other Christians talking about. And one of the ones that often came up in, in testimonies or in sermons went something like this. Okay, so I was driving down the street one day and I had such an impression that I was supposed to turn at this corner. And I was like, but Lord, that's not my corner. I don't even know anybody on that street, but I couldn't shake it. And so finally, even though it was way out of my way, I turned at the corner and about halfway down, I saw this person and I stopped and I rolled down the window and we got talking and I led them to the Lord. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, I want, I want that, that'd be cool. And I remember going up to one person here in Wheaton um, saying, I feel like I'm supposed to talk to you, although I had no idea what was next. I had nothing. And all of a sudden it got really awkward. <laughs> and I backed out of that as quickly as I could. And I began to feel like something is wrong. I couldn't tell you what exactly. But I was like, I don't know if I'm really, I, I feel like I'm a lot more spiritual than I ever was, but I don't know that I'm any closer to God. I actually feel like I'm kind of tied in knots, is what it felt like. Well, now I look back at my younger self, and I just want to go, oh, Padawan. You know? <laughs> Your heart was so good, and it, it bless the Lord for that. But what you could really use is the ascension. Because if my younger self had any real idea what Jesus is ascending into heaven means for how we live the Christian life, I would have been going about it in a much different and a much better way. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where you got the idea, for example, that emotions are bad. Anybody get that? Faith over feelings? Um, was just human pleasures bad, was acting bad, you know, was, uh, was science bad? Um, and, or, on the, on the flip side, were things that were really especially unusual spiritual experiences given a lot of uh, emphasis, energy, and prominence? Unusual gifts. Well, the ascension speaks to all of that. You know, there are only uh, 365 days in the year. There's only seven major Christian feasts. Only seven. And the Ascension makes it into the top seven. Yet, I find that most Christians, most of us, really don't know a lot about what the Ascension means. I mean, we can tell you a lot about Christmas. We can tell you a lot about Easter. But if we're asked to stand up and say something meaningful about the Ascension, we get kind of foggy. Right? So this evening, I want to look at what Jesus did for us when he ascended into heaven, what he makes possible so that we can enter and stay in a better way to live the Christian life. All right, well, first, let's make sure we're clear on the basic facts. In the 40 days after Jesus walked back out of the graveyard, 
he keeps showing up and talking with his friends. And one of the first times, he can tell that they're doubting it's really him. Probably wasn't hard to read their faces. So he says this, touch me. Like, go ahead, squeeze my arm, you know. <laughs> touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh. Like, you want to pinch my skin? That's okay, if that'll convince you. And bones, like it's solid, as you see that I have. And then he shows them his hands and his feet. And sure enough, there are scars, exactly like you would expect, from the kind of rough-hewn, square-head, iron nails that the Romans use. Not like nice, clean incisions, but jagged. Now healed over. Now there's only one person who looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, and has a body that is like that. And still, it says, they stand there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. It's just too much to take in that a, a dead person is back. And so he says, you got anything here to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish, and he eats it as they watch. I love that, as they watch. It's like I'm sure they were all watching Adam's apples going down. <laughs> like, wow. And apparently, even though he's been to the world of the dead and back, his resurrection body can eat and digest fish. Now that is crazy. And he eats and ends up eating with them a number of times over these 40 days. Eating is one of the main things he does with them. And on the 40th day, now back to the point, and you'll see why all this matters in a minute. On the 40th day, after he rises from the dead, Jesus leads his close friends to Bethany. That's just like a two-mile walk outside Jerusalem. So maybe it takes you 40 minutes to get there in a group. And Jesus is not like hovercrafting his way there. He's like walking. His feet are making prints in the dust, just like theirs are. And then when he gets there, lifting his hands to heaven, Jesus blesses them. And while he's blessing them, he leaves them and is taken up to heaven. His feet start to leave the ground. He's taken up into a cloud. And while they're watching, until they can no longer see him, and then two men dressed in white say, Jesus is gone to heaven to make sure they know what just happened. So now get this, get this. The guy who just walked with them two miles is now in heaven. The guy who ate a chunk of broiled fish, now in heaven. The one who showed them jaggedy scars in heaven. That's the ascension. And this truth that a person with a human body is now sitting at the right hand of God is hard to take in. And so the 39 articles, one of the more important statements of Anglican theology, spells it out so nobody can miss it. They say, quote, Christ did truly rise again from death and took again his body with flesh, bones, and all things pertaining to the perfection of man's nature. Meaning we also know it was a glorious and immortal body. Okay. And with that, he ascended into heaven and there sits until he returns to judge all at the last day. Now, wow. Now, as far as I can tell, many long-term Christians and even some theology students have an, a concept that is not that. They have a concept that's more like this if they've thought about it at all. Is, which is like, when Jesus was born, he put on a human body like a diver pulls on a wetsuit and zips it up. 
And then when he's done his earthly work, he, he's so glad to get back out of the polluted waters of human existence that he can't wait to get that wetsuit off and discard the human body and return to his father with none of the limits that a human body might entail. But actually what happens is that the body that Jesus of Nazareth receives from his mother is the one he reigns forever with in heaven at the Father's right hand. Now that, woo, that changes some things in theology, friends. Okay. Yes, that body is now glorified and immortal, but a person with a human body is sitting at God's hand, right hand. As Ellen Vosberg puts it, who used to attend here, quote, when Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father, it's the first time that human flesh, the dust of the earth, is on the throne of God. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, we could spend a long time on that, but I'm going to cover two things tonight. The first is, the ascension gives us access to God. Access. Because Jesus ascended, a human has full access into the presence of God, meaning we do too. This is new. If you read the Bible, you know that the relationship between God and people uh, broke down pretty early on, very early on. We decided to do a power grab. There was that. And so Genesis says that God expelled the man and woman from the Garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground, the same dirt out of which they'd been made. He threw them out of the garden and stationed angel cherubim and a revolving sword of fire. Now, can I just say the revolving sword of fire? Sounds really cool. <laughs> but anyway, but it means they're being cast out from the presence of God. It's actually quite terrifying. And guarding the path to the tree of life. But now, with Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, that sword's gone, man. The, the way back into the Edenic presence of God is open. It's just like humans and God back together again, like God always wanted. The great Bible teacher Oswald Chambers puts it this way. By his ascension, our Lord entered heaven, keeping the door open for humanity. I love that image. It's like Jesus goes in first and then props the door. <laughs> so it doesn't close up again so that you and I can be with God as humans too. And he continues, our Lord returned to his original glory, not simply as the son of God, although he was. He returned to his father as the son of man as well. There's now freedom of access for anyone straight to the very throne of God because of the ascension of the son of man. And that's why Jesus says to his followers, I'm returning to my father and now your father, my God and your God. The access I enjoy is now available to you as well. Well, I think this is very comforting. We Christians often feel, I'm so weak. I'm so up and down. I can be sitting in the middle of the worship service thinking about what I'm going to eat. <laughs> and we feel bad about that. You know, we're like, ah, God it can never really use someone as human as I. But the ascension says, God can and God does. The Bible tells us good news. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted every way just as we are, but he didn't sin. 
So we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence and receive God's mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We have a friend in high places. And today, these days, we talk about representation. We have somebody who looks like us. And he opens the door for us. I was interested when, uh, to learn when Katanji Brown was in high school, her guidance counselor said, oh, yeah, don't, nice try, but don't think about applying to Harvard. That's a bad idea, Katanji. Just set your sights lower. But despite the fact that not many black students were enrolled at Harvard, she decided to apply anyway. And she got in. But it was not, all, it was not always easy. Uh, I don't know if there were any black people on student government when she was there. I know there had never been a black student government president until some years after she left campus. And anyway, she went on, as most of you know, to clerk for Justin's, Justice Stephen Breyer. But nobody's thinking that she's going to ever be a justice. Of the 115 justices who have ever served on the Supreme Court, only five have been women. So that's 96% men, 4% women. And there's never been a black woman. And there's never been a judge who was a federal public defender like she had been. So this is not looking good. But this summer, as we all know, when Justice Breyer retires, she will be sworn in as an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. And I have been fascinated to read how many black women took their daughters out of school to watch the confirmation hearings, and they plan to take them out of wherever they are <laughs> to watch the swearing-in ceremony. And why? Because something inside opens up in us when we see someone like us in a place we never thought we could go. It says this is possible. This is real for you too. You can do that. And so now, when you and I look up into heaven, we see Jesus born of a peasant woman with a body still human who knows what it's like to be weak and tempted and suffering. And seeing him there, we know, I can access the very presence of God too. My being human is not an impediment to being close to God. Anybody here need to know that? When I was a teenager trying to get closer to God by becoming more spiritual, I really wish somebody would have pulled me aside and said, stop trying to become more spiritual. Here's my assignment for you. Become more human. Get on your bike and go out and enjoy God's nature that he created just for you to enjoy. Feel some wind in your face. How about go out and eat a hamburger and, and just savor all the fat and all the juice <laughs> How amazing is that? Sorry if you're a vegan. Maybe a tofu burger, okay? <laughs> but, you know, I would have gotten much closer to God by doing that than by trying my approach. The Ascension says human learning, it's good. Sometimes Christians have this thing like, medicine's good, but it's not as good as God, you know, healing. Well, I, I, I love healing, and I've seen some, and I pray for them. But you know what? Medicine is awesome. Thank God for it. All right. The most, and, and, and finally, now I can just look back and say, who are like the most godly and close to Jesus people I've ever met? And you know what? To a person, they're the most down-to-earth, humble, human. They're not putting on airs. 
you don't feel like they're somehow noticeably spiritual or trying to convince you they're spiritual, and you feel relaxed around them. Anglican theologian N.T. Wright says, to embrace the ascension is to heave a sigh of relief. To give up the struggle to be God, and with it the inevitable despair at our constant failure, and to enjoy our status as creatures. Image-bearing creatures. Creatures with a huge dignity and responsibility, but creatures nonetheless. All right, the ascension is good news because it gives us access to God. And that leads me on to number two. The ascension not only gives us access to God, it gives us authority with God. Authority with God. The prophet Daniel was given insight, holy insight, into the moment when Christ ascended into heaven. And here's what he saw. There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Wow. So Jesus Christ now rules over all as both the Son of Man and the Son of God. He is king. And before he ascended, though, here's what he told his followers. You are those who have stood by me in my trial. Just as my father, and so he says, I confer on you a kingdom. Just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Apparently, when Jesus takes his position on his throne at the right hand of the father, we too somehow are also given responsibility. We are given a unique spiritual authority. We, in effect, co-rule with him and for him. Okay, now that was God's plan, remember, from the beginning. In Genesis, God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, they will reign. And then it goes on all the stuff they'll reign over. Basically, nature and all of creation, which not done so great at. Okay. But this is startling. What exactly does this mean that you and I would co-reign with Christ? I've heard that a lot over the years, and I thought, well, what does that mean? Well, some of the answer, frankly, we won't know until Christ returns in glory, and he returns just the way he did when he left. But part of it we do know. And stay with me here, because I think the answer lies in a really amazing insight from Jonathan Edwards who's probably the greatest theologian America has ever produced. All right. Um, here on earth, this is his insight. Here on earth, there's always a hierarchy. Always. People with more power, more opportunity, more money, whatever, whatever. And that stings. And the hierarchy varies from place to place, right? Sometimes it's based on tenure, and sometimes it's based on that person had a better degree than you, and sometimes it's based on that person had an in with the CEO, and, 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 and as we've so often seen, that person had lighter skin or, or some other uh, culturally favored trait, and that person had more money, so they have more power. That person has more political connections, so that's why they're up to there. And, and whatever, whatever it is. And those hierarchies are so painful inherently to our human dignity that we think in God's kingdom there won't be any hierarchy. But Jonathan Edwards has a different idea. And he says this. 
in God's kingdom, there will be a hierarchy. But here's what the hierarchy is going to be based on. Love. Meaning, the more loving the person is, the higher up they are. Think about that. Well, this changes everything. Because what this means is, if I have somebody over me in God's realm who is more loving than I and loves me so much, I'd be like, I, I want to work for you. Like, it'd be a joy to work for you. Like, that'd be best possible situation for me. I, I would want that. It's not limiting, it's liberating. It's just an honor to be around them. I don't know if you've ever known somebody who's that loving, you just want to be around them and you want to help them out. Well, with this insight, all of a sudden, parts of the Bible start to make great sense. Like Philippians 2. Uh, well, let me just make my, my point very clear. So what if reigning has to do with the most sacrificially loving? Okay? And there's probably gradations of some kind of that. All right. Well, one of the earliest worship songs sung by Christians says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the highest place and the name above every name. How did Jesus get promoted? all the way up because nobody loves like him nobody lays down his life like him nobody sacrifices like him and and we're just also privileged to be anywhere near jesus we just want more of jesus anyway god's authority is always connected to suffering love the one time he gets called king he's pouring out his blood the one time he wears a a, a, a crown it's with painful thorns so, if suffering and sacrificing love is the way Jesus reigns, what if that's the way we reign with him? That actually, then it would mean that when you and I sacrifice for somebody, we are co-reigning with Christ. And I believe when we do that, we are gaining greater spiritual authority now and a, a, a harbinger of things to come in, in the next life. So our sacrificing love then has meaning, even if nobody sees it. It's actually preparation for promotion, interestingly. Now, what, so you know, think about it. When you show up for work, when you would much rather not, that is an act of sacrificial love. When you listen deeply to somebody, when you really wish you're tired and you wish they'd listen to you, that is an act of sacrificing love. When you write the check, knowing full well, I've got my own needs, that is sacrificing love. And what that does is it, it makes you more like God and gives you a greater spiritual authority. So I believe, friends, that the ascension of Jesus Christ shows us how you and I get closer to God. It's not by becoming more flashy and spiritual. It's by becoming more human. Not by having dramatic stories, although those are nice when they come, and I'm thankful for those, but by showing us ways of undramatic service. I just want to encourage you tonight that whatever your life feels like, however ordinary, however hard, your life has meaning. It has, you have access to God, you co-reign with God, and you have the opportunity to show love.
in every life, you always have the opportunity to show love. And that is allowing you to co-reign with Christ now, the way he does, and to reign even more fully with him in the future. I, uh, I'll just finish with this then. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, ascended to the right hand of God, and say no to any approach to the Christian life that urges us to become more spiritual and less human, more flashy and less loving. Jesus shows us the way. And I'll close with this wonderful prayer from our prayer book. Oh God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.